on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about being on your deathbed. What's going to happen when you're gone? Maybe get you to think a little bit differently. Now, I was talking to the investor the other day, and I, I corrected them because their whole thinking about investing is buy low, sell high. And I'm sure, I guess that's what most people think of investing that don't take more of an active approach or as maybe the 80-20 or the 99% of people out there that buy low, so high. And this is my big thing why I don't really particularly invest in things like crypto. I saw Charlie Munger, who, which is uh, Warren Buffett's buddy at Berkshire Hathaway, had a, went on a little rant and said, and I'll say it, I'll quote him, people who want to get rich quick for doing very little for civilization invest in crypto. And I think this is why I keep coming back to value-add real estate. When you're value-adding, it really doesn't matter when you're buying up market, down market, sideways market. If you have the ability to bump the rents up or lower expenses to increase net operating, you're creating value. And what the real value is, you're making better living conditions for the tenants who in turn pay more rents. And uh, then you can sell for the uh, higher price. And that's the trouble with real estate. It takes a while to get that built up equity, that retained equity out. But it's one of those business plans that is tried and true. So I was going talking to this investor and they were talking about their own personal business. And they were saying, like, maybe I should just exit this thing and take the money and going into crypto. And kind of my thought was it's a multi-generational business. If you've taken that business as far as you can, you can't value add it anymore, improve the business system, or as business operators know it as creating the wheel, as the cycle, this business money-making machine. If you can't make it better, then maybe you should just go and do something that the average Joe does out there, which is invest in crypto. And if you're somebody who can add value to the system, whether it's real estate, which is improving units making better living conditions for tenants, or you have an operational business where you can, I don't know, just thinking of ways you find a, find a better vendor supplier, making management improvement within your staff, things to make it leaner or improve the, uh, the bottom line by improving income sources, um, you're value adding that business or in the business world, that's the EBITDA as opposed to the operating real estate world. But no, real estate is essentially a business. I think it's one of the easier businesses to run because it's backed by a hard asset. You know, just to put that thought out there. I think the thing with simple passive cash flow is coming on to what's the purpose of this. And I've been kind of working with a life coach. And the mission of simple passive cash flow is to get investors out of the rat race, introduce these new ideas so they can change lives. And one example would be like implementing a simple strategy like real estate professional status in your taxes. Now one spouse can stay at home, check that box on their taxes, and maybe they net more at the end of the day because they're using their passive losses to offset some of the ordinary income. Of course, consult your tax attorney and all this type of stuff. And we've got a lot of content surrounding taxes at simplepassivecashflow.com slash tax. And just to prep you for today's podcast, maybe check out the info page at simplepassivecashflow.com slash legacy to start thinking about how is this, what are you building towards? You want to invest in things that do value add. Overall, why do you have all this money for? I talk to a lot of people that are five, $10 million net worth, and they're living with a scarcity mindset. And I talk to some people that make $150,000 and their net worth is shy under a million, and they have a very abundance mindset. So I'm just in the lucky position because I you know, still do these free intro calls. If you guys want to get signed up for the club at simplepassacashflow.com, it's my way of seeing who are out there. And if that's to me is my value add to the world, I joke around with the staff and I tell them, hey, I want to have two calls with people every day. And obviously, I want to have good calls with people, not people that just randomly sign up and which we typically filter. But 
I want to talk to people who's been listening to the podcast, been thinking about this stuff. Everything makes sense, right? Passive losses, taking money out of 401k, possibly not buying a house to live in, taking a HELOC or at the very least with some of the built up equity that you've been having the last few years and taking that money and going on the offense and as opposed to your money just getting killed by inflation at 5 10%, whatever it is today, you're going on the offense and creating cash flow and taking part of value add projects and it all makes sense, but it's a role I, I play is we talk you through it, we educate you. And I, I think that's my overall value add to the world as opposed to what we do in the business and in the real estate, which value adding properties. But to me, my value add is if I can have a 10, 15 minute conversation that pushes them over the edge and you know, hopefully you guys go out there and change your own lives and maybe make the world a little bit better place to live in. I think that's the big takeaway. Always try and make the world a little bit better place than you found it. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cash listeners. We're not going to talk too much about investing, taxes, legal stuff, infinite banking, which by the way, if you want to learn more about infinite banking, check out the free e-course. You can go to that at simplepassivecashflow.com slash banking. But today we take a break from the, the hard investing stuff and talk a little bit more stuff that are enriching for the soul. After all, it's not that hard to get financially free. That's why we call it Simple Passive Cashflow for a reason. Today we have Gene Keegan Daly, who is author of The Reflections of a Single Soul. She used to work as a hospice nurse, and she's going to talk about a lot of the takeaways she has gained from working with people in that last uh, few percent parts of their life. For those of you who don't know, hospice is the part where you go where you're probably not going to make it back around. So a lot of reflection comes around. And we've talked about near-death experiences from a couple of guests prior. This kind of goes along the same line. If it's not your thing, cool. I'll see you guys next week. But for some of you guys who are definitely on the road to financial freedom, life is slowing down. It's not all about the hustle and bustle. I think you guys will find this podcast enjoyable. But uh, thanks for jumping on, Gene. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so take us through your role as a hospice nurse, and let's get going through some of the takeaways that you've gleaned from that seemingly unenviable job. For me, Lane, being a hospice nurse was really one of the biggest highlights of my career. I'm a holistic educator and speaker, counselor, and therapist. I started my nursing career in 1965, and there were no hospice facilities at all. In fact, that word wasn't even utilized at that time. We were not allowed then to even tell people that they were close to death. I remember days in my early career, we were not allowed to tell people their blood pressure or their temperature. We had to keep imagining us leading them through whatever they were going through. And I always felt that people should be part of the journey. Part of their journey of being ill, becoming well, or not becoming well. I felt very strongly that I wanted to help people be able to talk about their worries and struggles and fears and come to a place of comfort and peace and acceptance, particularly about their dying process. And like I said, there were no hospice facilities at the time. So I was very happy to find an organization in Pennsylvania that employed nurses to go into people's homes. 
and really connect with the patient and the family and the entire situation. And while people say to me, how could you ever be a hospice nurse? That's so hard. Yes, it was very difficult to see people struggle and go through a dying process and see the family be in such grief. However, I believed that I could provide care for them that was distinctly different than what was being provided in the hospital and to help them to come to peace with that, to understand more about themselves and their journey through the dying process and into death and beyond. You are working with more uh, folks on the other side of the age range, right? Things with kids, right? They're not as experienced. They don't have that perspective as middle-aged, older adults. But how did they take, are they aware of what's their fate? They are more aware. I have three stories of hospice in my book uh, that are very transformational. They are wonderful stories of my three most memorable patients, one of whom is a little girl. She was nine years old. And that story is full of my amazement at her understanding of what was happening to her. She was told she had a brain tumor and she was told that she would not survive. But there were certain things that happened that she survived a longer time than anybody expected for particular reasons. And it's just a wonderful story. I learned from her and children are very perceptive. They know when you're telling them the truth. And when she or any child asked me, am I dying? I looked at them and I would say to them, what do you think about that? How do you feel? Do you believe that this is happening to you? Rather than give them a straight answer, I wanted to see what they knew, what they understood. And it was it ended up being wonderful conversations, except for the babies that couldn't really talk. But they were the children who could speak, even the babies in their eyes, I could see there was an enlightenment about. So it was very rewarding. I cried along with the families when these patients died, yet I felt so good and so did the families that we could all learn from these experiences and help the patient and the family to become much more comfortable, much more understanding, much more hopeful, much more at peace. In 2015, I had 11 turnkey rentals and realized that there's nothing passive about direct ownership in rental properties. This coming from an accredited investor perspective. Our group these days are mostly accredited investors, strictly looking for syndication deals for a purely passive investment strategy. One part of my portfolio is the American Home Owner Preservation, or what folks in the Hui call AHP. George Uberry, once apartment investor and mentor to myself, is now sponsoring podcasts for the fourth year in a row. His private note fund, which by the way also accepts non-accredited investors, cuts out the middlemen and allows you to invest directly with him to fight the mortgage crisis in America. Feel good knowing that you are helping families stay in their home after buying their underwater note at a huge discount. Join him by purchasing distressed mortgages while cashing your distribution check on a monthly basis. Find something else better out there? Just let me know. Invest as little as $100 by going to ahptitle.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, claim it at simplepassivecashflow.com slash ahp. And don't forget to join our private investor club to get more insider access. Go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. So let's unpack that one story, right? The older kids, they're a little bit more aware of how the world works. 
because they don't really think much more differently than us. Actually, probably they, they're a lot more transparent and authentic, one would think. Do they go through the stage of like anger, despair, regret? Is there a certain stages that formally you, you see or they teach you or what actually happened? My experience was that by the time hospice was called, these children, and I'm thinking of the one in particular whose name was Diane, these children already have faced in themselves that they are not going to survive this because a nurse is coming in to their home to help them to become more comfortable. So the conversation with those children was more like, I'm afraid. Can you tell me how not to be afraid? That's what they would say to me. I'm afraid. I don't want to leave my parents, for example. I'm afraid that they won't be able to get through when I'm not here anymore. And so listening to them and their worries and their fears, I found that they had a curiosity about what was happening to them. And they were not nearly as afraid as some people around them were. They wanted, when they expressed fear, they wanted to know what would happen after they died. Would their parents be okay? Would their siblings be okay? Where, what would they experience after they left this earth? And they had much more of a, an understanding just intuitively about the spirit of themselves going on. So it was more of a, it was more not really a, it was more of a sympathetic thing to other people than they were more concerned with them, what would happen with them personally then. Yes, yes. All what you say is that maybe you haven't worked with the older folks, but formally, is that kind of the traditionally the case with older people? I've worked a lot with older people. We didn't have that many children in at that time. This was back in the 1980s. We didn't have that many children who were given the opportunity to have hospice care because doctors were still very new at all this. They, they just, they mostly wanted to keep believing that this child was going to live through whatever they were dealing with. And there are still people that believe that you don't call hospice in until the last minute. And that is so unfortunate because hospice nursing takes care of patients people and their families in a way that a hospital nurse can't possibly do all of it. There were special techniques and special pain relievers and special comfort devices and special comfort positions that we all learned could be so helpful to the patient in their own home. And of course, now there are hospice facilities. The older people that I've dealt with, many of them were more because they felt some of the fears were that they didn't want to leave things undone. They regretted some things that they did, or they regretted things they didn't do. They worried that, and they were angry. There are two stories in my book where, of the three stories, two were adults. Both a woman and a man who I write about were very angry, very angry. They actually threw me out when I came in as a hospice nurse. It's like, I don't need this. I'm just going to lay here and die. And the transformations over time in those people were just incredibly amazing. And I had to write about this. Where did they go to? Where, how, where did they go from anger? I'm sorry. Where did they transform to? Both of them transformed into, the first thing was pain relief. So I knew that in order to help them, they had to learn to trust me. 
So when I promised pain relief from them and got them a little bit more comfortable, I would be able to instill confidence in them, in me, and trust in me as I shared ways that they could spend whatever time they had left on earth living. So living in a way that they didn't even believe was possible. And in the one story, this gentleman, I, after he trusted me, and he, I started to talk to him about his, what he used to do in his life. What were his loves? What were his enjoyments? And he actually ended up in the story to live one more time doing what he absolutely loved to do with, of course, help. And that just brought him such peace and such joy. It's still, all these years later, it gives me chills to, to think about him. It's like I'm there again, <clears throat> right in his home. And it was over a period of months. The doctors were amazed at his transformation. We talked about his fears. We talked about his regrets and his anger that this was not at all what he planned. Excuse me. He had planned a certain, he was used to a certain protocol. He was used to a certain routine. He was saving all the money from his to buy a trailer and go cross, cross country with his wife. And none of that was able to happen now when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so finding out about him, helping him to absolutely relieve himself of some feelings that he was holding on to, holding back. I accepted all of them, all of his anger, all of his resentments, just giving him space and permission to talk about all of that was helpful to him. And then there it led to us being able to help him live his last dream, which was beautiful. So let's unpack the regret thing, because I think everybody has heard people's biggest thing on their deathbed is is regret. I'd like to hear maybe a, a story or two on this, but I think a lot of sales people would like to use this regret. If you don't buy the $40,000 program, you always regret doing it. I think the way I'd like to angle it from our kind of community, a lot of us are hardworking. We spend time on growing business, investing, being frugal, but like the, the regret is not like you, there's a reason why you do it. There's no reason why you can't live it up today, but you're seeing it. What are some examples of just to paint the picture for people, real life examples? I did have a client one time, actually I, I had his wife and this was when I was in doing my holistic counseling full time. And because I do a lot of things in my holistic work and there was a gentleman who was always worried about not having enough money, although he had plenty of money. And because he was so focused on making this money and keeping this money and worrying about not having enough and making more, and he would watch the ticker tape across his television go by with all the numbers of what was happening in the stock market, that he was actually missing out on a lot of his life that would have brought him joy. So one of the things that I felt was important for him to know and for anyone to know, including myself, is that although that may be the focus, it's like time and money freedom. So when you have money that frees up your time to do things, then it's important to, to do what you love. Do what you love. And as you do what you love, you're opening up your heart and your soul and your spirit to the abundance that is in the universe as I to live life more fully and to because people at the end of their life 
regret, in my experience, regret not doing things they would love to have done, gone on this vacation, or spent more time with their grandchildren, or spent more time doing simplistic things with their spouse, that even though they had money, which is important in this world, there's another part of them, the spiritual part of them, the animation of them through this life where they need to balance out their life with also what they would love to do and do it. So that was most of the regret that people had. Any changes that you've, any personal changes you've done, seeing this transpire multiple times, it, you've cha- made a change in your life personally. Yes, I have. First of all, I feel whatever worries that I had, my life changed dramatically. I was out on my own doing something that nobody in my family believed in at the time. I was supposed to be the leader. I was the oldest of six children. I was supposed to be the leader in a conventional. And I instead, knowing as a young nurse that there was more, there was just more to life than the rituals that I had grown up with. And worrying about money and worrying about time and that I had to get things done. I always had lists that I'd stay up until one o'clock in the morning and cross off these lists of things to do. And so when I made this transition into following my heart and my soul and what was leading me to find out more and more about life and the purpose, why was I actually here? And I learned meditation and I learned how to open myself up to knowing that there there are many ways of being who you are, regardless of whether people agree with you or not, or whether people understand or not. And I took that, it was a series of events that happened to me, much of which was illness. Every time I didn't follow my path that was inside of me to follow, I would become sick. And I started paying attention to that. And so the more I followed it, my, my own path and my own inspirations that I felt were very divinely sourced, I would have success and I would be grateful for every single thing in my life. That's a big part of moving through uh, life, to be grateful for everything. And I was focusing more on what I had and what I could contribute. That's another big piece of it, to contribute to others, to give of yourself honestly and, and sincerely. And I've overcome many things. I've always called upon the spiritual soul part of me to know, like many times I was lost. I was alone. I was lost. I was um, in places that could have been very dangerous for me. And I just utilized all my resources that I had learned to know and trust that I was safe. And I got through. I've had many experiences that would be considered metaphysical, beyond the physical, angelic types of experiences and my own near-death experience where my fear of anything has really diminished and I feel supported I feel supported by the power in the universe that breathes us I feel as though when I determine what it is that is right for me and best for me the ways and means appears it just does and it's I feel much more at peace with myself now at this age with that not afraid of dying i really feel like i should live till i'm 150 at least to do everything i want to do still so 
What is your, somebody says, life is about balancing, doing what you want, but also achieving what you want too. How do you, what is your best advice for balancing those? My best advice is to look at what I feel are the four quadrants of your life. So there's health and well-being as one quadrant. There's another quadrant, love and relationships. There's a third quadrant, vocation. What are you actually doing to contribute, to work, to share? And then there's the time and money freedom. So I look at those four quadrants of my life and I encourage anyone else to look at the four quadrants of their life. And what are your discontents in each of those quadrants? And what are your longings in each of those quadrants? And how can you think about how you would love that quadrant or several quadrants to look in your life and start taking an actions toward that? So for example, I, would, I was afraid when I wrote my book, I was afraid that I was making myself so vulnerable and I had fears who would want to buy this book. And I've got nothing but positive feedback which showed me that I, I, I did the right thing for me. And so that has brought me some income. I'm following and I encourage people to really look at those quadrants of their life. To me, time and money freedom go together because when I have the freedom to do what I am here to do and love to do, the money will come. And then that frees me up to look for people who I can depend on and rely on to take care of the money that I've invested. Even if I think I don't have the money for something to, that I want to pursue, if it's really in my heart and my soul to pursue it, I know I will be able to do it. And I believe and trust that because that's the dream. And I'm going to take action steps to make that dream come true. As long as I am serving and I am honest with myself and I am looking at the other quadrants in my life and where can I balance we are really spiritual beings having a human experience. The human experience is temporary. And yet we each have gifts. We each have gifts to give the world. And you are giving a gift, Lane, by helping people to know how to be successful in their money and time freedom quadrant and probably all the other quadrants as well. That's why I want to hang out with rich people. No, I'm joking. Or <laughs> listening. And that's absurd. Joking. <laughs> Chill out, guys. This is a free podcast. You think yeah. About it. yeah, I think of the same way. Like the, I call it the stool. You said it in a different way. It's a little bit different, but yeah, physical fitness, money fitness, spiritual, which I think maybe partly with vocation. And then the last one is relationships. Yeah. So the same thing. Yeah. But I think yours was more vocational, was giving back, right? Where if, in my opinion, Unless people get their own money and time straight in a way, they can't move on to the next quadrant. I just don't, I haven't, I, it's very rare I see that happen. People need to put their own oxygen mask on before they start giving. That's right. So you can't give from an empty well. And that's why self-care and self-nurturing is so important. I had to learn that because as a nurse, I was continually giving out to others. As the oldest child of six in my family, I was continuing giving out and I still do. Except now I had, I learned over many years, I had to nurture and take care of myself so that I could keep full enough to give to other people. And that includes money and that includes time and that includes sharing and effort and it includes physical fitness and it includes enough rest and sleep. It includes all of those 
parts of ourselves that we can feel really great. It's important to feel great. And in order to do that, I believe that we need to really get honest with ourselves, look within, listen to that still small voice within that will always lead and guide you in the right way. And when you pay attention to that, things open up. I've had areas open up in my life that I never could have known were available to me unless I followed that inner voice. And that includes money. That includes time. That includes health. I had a reason for coming back from my very profound near-death experience. I didn't understand it at the time. It took 12 years for me to actually know what it was. And I've lived well beyond that time now. It's just for me to share with others right now and telling them that look at yourself as a very special human being. Each of us has talents and gifts and each of us is unique in many ways. And so utilizing those talents and gifts and intelligence and resources is actually going to free you up from regrets at the end of this temporary life. You're going to say, wow, I really did everything that I was here to do, everything that I knew to do, everything that I believed in doing and being. So taking care of yourself in all ways is really important. I, I don't have that problem. I take care of myself way too much, I think. I do think that's a big thing for a lot of people. They kind of, they need to go for a massage, spend some money on themselves, have a day, or have an hour like that. And then just to summarize too, you also mentioned earlier about the whole concept of not regret. And then you also mentioned earlier, stop worrying what people think about you. What are you like 14? Like, I think most people in their 50s and 60s, they stop having body issues, self-esteem issues and worrying what other people think about. Nothing says you can't get there in your 20s or 30s or teach your teens this now. I mean, that's what I say. I mean, I have, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I still probably think what people think about me, but you just live a happier life and you just give no Fs what people think at some point. If they're not, people aren't your jam, then they don't need to hang out with you. Financial freedom allows you to do what you want with whom you want with the tribe that you want. That's true. I think that the happiest people in my experience are the people that are loving what they do and they're sharing and they're giving and they're receiving. No, that's important to receive from others. I feel like as long as we're here alive, we can learn. And I am way beyond my 60s. And I feel very vital, way beyond. And I feel like I have a lot to, to offer my grandchildren who are all in various stages in college. And I feel when someone is truly happy with themselves and doing what they're here to do, being there and loving their life, it shows in the energy around them, the aura, it shows in their eyes, it shows in their smile, it shows in the way they treat themselves and others. We didn't want to freak everybody out today. You get Make sure you guys pick up Jean's book, Jean Keegan Daily, Reflections of a Seasoned Soul. You can check that on Amazon. One quote that I heard recently that we posted in the uh, the Facebook group that some people commented on was an image of uh, Steve Jobs. Kind of looked like Skeletor. He was like the last leg of his life. And here this guy, just, he probably could afford whatever he imagined. But at the end of his life, unfortunately, his health wasn't there. And so he wasn't able to enjoy the fruits to a long life. 
And then I don't know who said this quote, but it stuck with me. And that quote was, you know, the, the difference between somebody with a thousand dreams and one and only one dream is health. So we're all going to die. We're all going to get old. Something's going to happen. So you might as well just enjoy what we got now. But life is more fun when you got money, in my opinion. So do what it takes to get financially free now. Any last parting words? I would like to say that each of us, I wrote this down. My best takeaway, I think, right now is that each of us is on a personal journey of the soul to remember our true divine nature and to live in this world from that authentic place of inherent power. From the place of your authentic self, you can create positive, healing, transformative, loving energies that benefit yourself and the world. The journey's path is so worth every single step to discover your core essence of truth and live from that place of wholeness, peace, freedom, joy, and love. Love being the most powerful of all. Of all. And enjoy your money to share as you wish with yourself. Anyone That's else? Right. Aurora Borealis one of these days. But yeah, if you guys like um, this kind of topic matter, check out simplepassivecashflow.com slash happy. I wrote an article out there that I think you guys would also enjoy. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you very much. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.